Good morning, everybody. If you can start finding your seats. Um, we have breaking news. Our children are on their way back from Indianapolis from quizzing. Um, so we're definitely going to pray for traveling mercies for them. They're going to be traveling all day today. Um, we're glad you're here. Um, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to be present with us today here in the service. Lord, we ask you to bless the service. Bless each and every person here. Bless those who couldn't make it, Father. Uh, we pray for them. For whatever reasons they're not able to be here, Lord, uh, they're part of our family. We lift them up. But, Father, especially we lift up the children um, with the adults that are with them from our quizzing. Um, we had a good report, but uh, you'll hear more about that when they get back. So, Father, we just ask you to give them traveling mercies. Watch over them, protect them, help them to travel safe and return home soon. Uh, we lift all this up. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen. Okay, um, so a few announcements before we get started. We have our Spanish-speaking life group with Pastor Pepe and Nora, which meets on Thursday nights. The English-speaking life group meets Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. here at the church during the summer. If you have any questions or would like to attend one of these life groups, please contact the church office. Um, also exciting, VBS is coming, so it's coming very soon. It's June already, so June 21st through the 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. each night. So we are very excited about this event for our kids. It's always a really fun time. I love the pictures that we get from this, so make sure to save the dates. We have our Independence Day barbecue on July 2nd at 5 p.m. at Les Hicks Junior Park, so put that in your calendar. And that same Sunday on July 2nd, Chuck Gerard from the band Love Song is coming, which is super exciting. Um, we have a short video for you to kind of introduce you to Love Song and to Chuck. Oh, it was last week. <laughs> All right, so scrap that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Kids Camp is coming July 17th through 19th. The cost is $50 per child, and signups will be starting next Sunday on June 18th. Home Away From Home is July 21st through 23rd at Anchor Point Lodge. Yeah, so we're excited for that. It is $200 per room and $60 per person for meals, and the sign-up is in the foyer. So at this time, that's the end of our announcements. We have a busy summer, but we're hoping to see a lot of you here to enjoy all of that with us. Um, if you could stand with me, and we will pray for the offering. Lord, we are so thankful to be here and to be able to be in your presence today. We just pray, God, over the offering, Lord, that people are giving, that um, you love a cheerful giver. We just pray, God, that it would be used for your kingdom. And Lord, we just surrender to your will as a church, as an individual, God, no matter what's going on in our lives. I just thank you so much for your presence and the gift of your love and forgiveness. And I just pray over this service, God, that it would bring you joy and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Amen.
Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, 20. says to the Ephesians, I pray that Christ may dwell in, y in your hearts through faith. Well, we need faith, don't we? Amen.
Señor amado Padre, muy bendecidos en esta mañana, alabándote con el coro de voces que te aman, te quieren y sentimos en nuestro corazón que tú eres el que lleva el honor y la gloria, Señor. Bendícenos en este día, bendice al predicador, al hermano Matt, que la palabra que tenga él en su corazón, en su mente, sea aquello que tú has puesto ahí, Señor que nos va a eh, refrescar también a nosotros nuestro corazón y nuestra mente. Y vamos a salir de esta iglesia, de este eh, diferentes cambiados al escuchar lo que tú tienes para nosotros. Bendice a nuestra congregación en esta mañana. En el nombre de Jesús. And Lord, we do thank you for the dawning of another beautiful day. We thank you too, Lord, for what was accomplished in and through our children there in Indianapolis. We pray, Lord, that you would get them and their sponsors home safely today. Watch over them and protect them. And be with us today as well, Lord, as we celebrate Jesus. We thank you for who you are and who you are in us and who you are in all of these who have attended today. Thank you for those who are watching online, and we pray that each and every attendee today will feel the Holy Spirit in their presence. And Lord, come through Jesus in Matt to fill us with you today. We thank you for him. We thank you for his love for us and his love for Jesus. And we just pray that you would use him in a powerful way as you have given him the message to give to us and help us to have willing hearts to receive that message. Come feed us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. What a beautiful day it is, huh? We were blessed with a wonderful round of our choir. We're blessed with the ability to just be here and worship God. And as we were listening, I was just thinking about the blessings that we have in just every breath that we take. This isn't even part of the sermon, but I would love it if all of you would just take a really big, deep breath with me and just... Fill that lungs with the air and realize that that breath was a gift that God had no obligation to give you. <laughs> Amen. If you would bow your heads with me, we'll pray before I start. Father, we are so thankful that we have the ability to just read your word today. We have the ability to learn more about you. And I ask that through all of this, you would be shining, that your spirit would shine through this message, that we would all leave filled with you and a better understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week, Pastor Carlos preached a sermon called, Lord, Hear My Prayer, and I promise I won't 
end today with a fast, although I did make that joke driving here with Amanda. I was like, I should call a fast. Let's do it. (laughs) But the whole point of Pastor Carlos' sermon, right, was about how do I make my prayers more effective? How do I get myself to a spot where when I talk to God, I really am communicating? And he went through... I mean, if you don't remember, it's on YouTube, but <laughs> he went through a lot, of, a lot of things that can hinder our prayers. In today's message, we're going to talk through the model of prayer that Jesus gives us. And so the le- title of today's sermon is Pray Then Like This. And it's a passage that we are all probably very, very familiar with. To give you some context, this is on the Sermon of the, on the Mount. Jesus has called people to himself. And he has called his disciples farther up. So this message is to his disciples, but it is done in the earshot of everybody because this is important for everybody to hear. And before he gives you this model of prayer, he gives two don'ts. He says, do not pray publicly like hypocrites, which Jesus prayed in public. So that doesn't mean pray only alone. But we made a joke with the youth group, right, that when you bless your food at a restaurant, don't just, don't make it about you. Don't make people see you and say, oh, there's a godly one. He says, get into a closet. And the reason is he wants you to get alone. Get alone with this God who loves you. Communicate directly to him. I encourage you to do that with your Bible. Get alone with this word. And do it not for the adoration of other people, not to get attention, not so that people know how you are, but to really communicate with the God and creator of everything you have ever seen. And then he adds in there, don't be like the Gentiles, a fancy word for everybody not Jewish, (laughs) who pray through repetition And so this was a cause that happened back then a lot, and sometimes today, where people would just say the same things over and over and over again because they thought that it gave them more power to their words. If you think that repeating a certain phrase over and over will unlock God to you, that is called witchcraft. That is you trying to control outside of you with your own, I just have to say this phrase. And so he says, don't do any of that. And then he comes in, and we're going to start today in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After giving us our don'ts, how not to pray, he doesn't leave us hanging. Matthew 6, verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God. 
So a couple things, um, I do have to mention it, if you remember the longer version <laughs> that has, for yours is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever, amen, uh, that is in the King James and New King James Version. If it is not in your version, it's in the footnotes, it's not hidden, there's just a manuscript dispute. Um, if you have questions on that, please feel free to come talk to me afterwards, and I'd love to talk you through a whole manuscript detail until you can't hear any more about it. <laughs> but this is what I want to get into, is this is something that is so common that I think it gets overlooked. It was in every 90s football movie, right? Right before the big game, they'd all sit around, they'd all hold hands and say the Lord's Prayer, because that's what you do in high school football in Texas. But how often do we go through this and say, okay, Jesus is going to give me a model of how I ought to talk to him? And then how often do we follow that model? It gets so overlooked because most of you could probably just recite this rote and never truly think about the words. So I'm going to try to bring us back into this verse as if it was the first time we had really read it. And I remember the first time that I really read it and got it because I was probably 10 or 11 years old and I was outside those doors and I waited for Pastor Ireland to come up and I walked up to him with the Bible and I said, you pray a long time. It says we ought not to. <laughs> like you do a lot and it, it says that that might be a Gentile thing. We could probably be out of here five, ten minutes earlier <laughs> if you just followed the red ink words. <laughs> he took it in stride. <laughs> Who raised me? <laughs> but what he said to me was, well, if you look at what it says, it doesn't say pray this. It says pray then like this. This is a model. And I used to do this a lot where I would take this model and I would say, okay, I want to make sure I hit every point in here. And I spent years making every one of my prayers essentially the Lord's Prayer with tweaks for how I was feeling that day. I didn't need any bread, but maybe I needed something else. We're going to break this down a little different today, though. Instead of thinking of this as a blueprint, we are going to look at the three principles of prayer that are given to us here, and the one warning that comes with it. So principle number one, the first thing we have to do when we approach God's throne, when we come up to him and talk directly to God, is we have to understand who God is. This is how the prayer starts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now some people over-focus on the love of God. And by that, what I mean is that they see his mercy, but they do not understand what he gives mercy from. So they tend to think, God doesn't want anything bad to ever happen to me. God loves me, which he does, but I don't believe that there could be something like hell. How could we have eternal punishment from a loving God is something that is constantly berated at us. And then there are people who overfocus on his holiness 
and you say, God is up there waiting to hit you, waiting for you to do something wrong because you take away the personhood of God and you turn him into an unfeeling rule book. And if you just stay within the rule book, everything will be okay. Jesus doesn't allow for either of these thoughts. He puts them both up front and in with each other. He says, our Father in heaven. God is love. God loves you specifically. And if you were thinking, I had a father and he wasn't that great, he adds in, well, this is the one that is the true father. This is our father in heaven who will love you perfectly and eternally. But when you approach the throne of God, also remember, hallowed be his name. And that word hallowed isn't one that we use very often. It is uh, a term for ground when there is a burning bush that won't consume, and it is here. But it means to be holy or sanctified. And so what we are saying is, God, you are our Father, and you love us more than we could ever comprehend, but also you are so different and so lifted up and so much bigger and greater and more powerful than anything I could imagine. When you approach the throne of God, you have to take that into consideration. Who is he to you? Do you have a true picture that God is eternally love, but also eternally holy? The second principle that this brings in is that you have to submit yourself to him. We get this with your kingdom come. And I know people who have said outwardly very much, I hope Jesus comes back. And sometimes they actually voice it, but sometimes it's just hidden in their actions that there's a slight, but I hope he comes back after I accomplish this. I'm working really hard on this goal. And so I, I want Jesus back, I do. I really, that would be swell. But man, if I could graduate first, that would be better. If I could live a life, I, I want to know what it is to have children first. I want to know what it is to live some type of life first. We are obsessed with this world. And I need you to understand that when you pray something like your kingdom come, you are saying, I want this world, this iteration that I understand to end. Not the world gone, but healed. Creation itself groans under the weight of sin. The rocks are singing out for Christ to come back. So how conceited do we have to be to say anything with your kingdom come and add a but? But not yet. Next line in there is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that God's will isn't done perfectly on earth because there are problems on earth. In Jeremiah 19.5, the people of Israel actually set up child sacrifice altars to God. 
And he says, I did not command this. It did not enter my mind. These people were violating God's will so truly. So my question is, do we really long for his will to be done as it is in heaven? Perfectly, immediately, and cheerfully? Or do we long for our own independence? Do we long for that shot of dopamine that comes in when you just do a little sin? There are studies about the dopamine hit that you get from a little white lie. Do you crave that? Or do you crave that his will be done and that yours be subjugated? That your lifestyle, your wants, your desires, your loves, that they all take a backseat because God's will should be done perfectly on this earth. Amen. The third principle of prayer we're going to talk is that you have to embrace and admit your reliance on him. This is when we get into the last part of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I want to let that sink in a little bit because that does not say thank you this day for my daily bread. Give me this day our daily bread. We do not even have access or control to our own needs our own physiological needs that we all probably walk around feeling like we have some amount of control on, those come as a result of God. Your ability to earn money to buy that bread, that comes from God. The fact that grain grew, that comes from God. Everything that we have relies on him and that is so countercultural to the Western culture that we all embrace and live in. We idolize the self-made man as something of they did that themselves. Who do we think we are if we did this with ourselves? I, didn't, I can't even grow grain. And then if I did, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Did it myself? I did it with other humans. And I did it all through the words and spirit of God only. Now, this comes just a few chapters after Jesus is tempted in the desert. And when Jesus is tempted in the desert, he has been fasting for 40 days. And the devil approaches him and says, if you're truly the son of God, change those stones into bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.8. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Do you think that's a coincidence that it happened to make his way, give us this day our daily bread? The bread that Deuteronomy is talking about is manna. And you may be asking yourself, what is manna? Good, you're halfway to the actual translation. <laughs> what is it? It is bread provided by God to the Jewish people in the desert. Bread they didn't grow, they didn't mill, they didn't crush, just given as an act of grace. So when he says that man does not live on bread alone, but by the words out of God's mouth, he is saying two things. One, once again, you cannot fulfill your physiological needs without the words of God. But two, you can't 
control your spiritual need without the words of God. We are created to serve, and we are raised to be independent, <laughs> but we are created to serve God. And so the words out of God's mouth, that is what gives us life, and that is why we have to, in a prayer, say, please give me my daily bread. Please sustain me in my body and my soul, because I cannot do it alone. Next line of this prayer is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And fairly soon we will talk about the warning that is implied with that word as, as we forgive our debtors. But we have to recognize that we cannot earn forgiveness. We can only trust that God is who he says, that God is who he has shown himself to be, and that we serve a God who longs to forgive us who desires that all would repent and come back to him. My brother uh, recently told me a story that involved him not forgiving somebody years later, and he just said, man, if I ever saw that guy again, <laughs> grumble, grumble, grumble. And he looked at me and he said, I know you probably think I need to let it go. And I said, I think you need to forgive him. And he said, I don't think forgiveness exists. And so we started talking about it, and what I found out was that my brother doesn't believe in the concept of forgiveness for one major reason, which is completely true if you take a worldly point of view, and that is you cannot undo what you've done. So he said, the damage is done. How are you going to forgive that? So I want to talk about forgiveness briefly here, which is that forgiveness is the taking on of somebody else's debt. It is when somebody owes you, and instead of his idea, my brother's idea is that that debt is erased and just goes into nothing. Hopefully somebody from Congress is watching this. Debt doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> if something is owed and it just vanishes, somebody pays that debt, and it's the person to whom it was owed. So when he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, the implication is, is that you will take on what is owed to you, that you will say, you don't owe me for this, and I will take on that payment. And finally, at the end of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Which is admittingly, admittedly fairly confusing, because it makes it sound like God might lead us into evil if we don't uh, ask him not to. And then you read James uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It's not going to be on the screen, but I am actually going to flip there for it. And James talks specifically about this concept of God um, tempting you. And he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So think about that. Every temptation that you experience, that is not from God. That is from you. Your desires, your flesh. How many times have you come into a knowing sin and said, this is the last time? How many times have you said, if I tell one more lie, I can get out of this? If I click one more time, it'll be the last time. I can handle one drink. What are we doing? And then we have the audacity to stand and say, well, it wasn't my fault. I was tempted by God. That's what James is saying. And so what this passage says, when it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is I can't lead myself. I can't be trusted because I am weak, because I desire sin, because my flesh is corrupted. The things that I want will lead me and my family to destruction. You take it. God, I can't do it. Lead us not into temptation. Let me follow you and be delivered from evil. These are our principles of prayer now. When you pray, I want you to sit down and think, understand who God is. Then submit yourself to him. And then not only admit, but embrace your reliance on him. And finally, what we get is a warning. And that warning is summed up in Matthew 6.15. But if you do not forgive others your, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And if you read this, it looks sometimes like your forgiveness is a payment. If I forgive others, then God will forgive me. I will just make the, the forgiveness payment so that I can be forgiven. But this is really brought out more in the parable of the unforgiving servant. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I will summarize. But if you are taking notes, this is Matthew 18, 21 to 35. And in this parable, there are three characters. There is a master, servant one, and servant two. And servant one owes the master 10,000 talents. And so the master says, I'm going to put you in debtor's prison because you have owed me money you can't pay back. And the servant throws himself on his mercy. He says, please do not put me in debtor's prison. I will pay you back. I will find a way. Please don't do this. And the master has mercy on him. So then this servant walks along and he meets what is described as a fellow servant. Keep in mind, not his servant, just another person equal with him in the master who owes him a hundred denarii. And the man chokes the second servant, which is rash. He says, you owe me my money. If you don't pay me, I'm going to put you in debtor's prison. And when the master finds out about this, he realizes that the first servant has not embraced or understood the gift of his forgiveness. 
And so he throws him, servant one, into the debtor's prison. So I want to talk through this parable just a touch in that this comes immediately after Peter tries to show off to Jesus and says, so what do you think? Should I uh, forgive people like seven times? Probably walking around thinking like, Jesus is going to be like, man, you've got a forgiving spirit. And Jesus says, no, 77. Dang it. <laughs> and then he tells this parable, and I'm going to break this down a little bit because talents and denarii are not generally exchanged currency for us <laughs> anymore. But if you read the footnotes in your Bible, the, they'll probably explain a lot of it. A talent was equal to about 20 years of labor for the average laborer. So I'm no mathematician, but that means that servant one owed about 200,000 years of labor. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> He's not going to make that up. That is like buying Twitter money. <laughs> so he owes 200,000 years of service, and the servant that he goes to owes 100 denarii, and a denarii was about one day's worth of labor. So you have a guy who owes 200,000 years. <laughs> he was forgiven his debt. And he meets somebody who owes him 100 days. And man, is he mad. <laughs> How dare you owe me 100 days? But here's the thing. If you owed somebody 100 days, that's also a lot of money. And I don't want that to be overlooked. If you owed me one-third of my annual salary, I would be coming up and being like, are we going to be paying this soon? <laughs> or what is happening? And so I think we get into this mindset sometimes where we think that forgiveness should be easy because it doesn't matter anymore. What has happened to you the wrongs that have been done to you, they matter. You are owed 100 denarii, and that is a lot of money. It's not easy to forgive that debt, and it's not something that should just be swept under the rug. But when you see it in light of what you have owed, for your willing sin against a perfect and holy God within his own creation. Then you start seeing that while somebody owes you 100 denarii, you owe God 20 talents. And when you understand what God has forgiven you of, it is easier to forgive the 100 denarii. It's not easy, and it's not uh, unimpactful but it is easier, it's possible when you understand that. God is the only one who has the right to act as a judge because he is good and just. Not sometimes, not mostly, not during the times we see him acting in the Bible, eternally. Before there was creation, he was good and just. At the end of history, he will be good and just. But instead of giving us the punishments that each of us deserved as we each deserved it, he did for us what we could never do. 
He gave up his glory to live a sinless life and die a horrific and humiliating death, all while taking on the cosmic and heavenly wrath of God so that all who repent and believe may enjoy him in life forever. The forgiveness that you have to give other people is not a work that shows God that you have earned his forgiveness. It is a litmus test to show you whether you really understand what you have been forgiven of. When you see your sin in the light of what it costs to pay for it, how can you not forgive others? So I want you to take a little bit of time this week and think truly and honestly. Are there people in your life that have wronged you beyond your ability to forgive them? Are there grudges that you are harboring? Do you think somebody still owes you? Think about all of those people. And then I challenge you to take some time to meditate on your own sin and what it cost to pay for those. So when we pray, we don't want to babble, which is the word they use for the Gentiles. You want to pray with intention. Pray meaningfully. And you don't want to pray in a way that brings attention to yourself. You want to be getting alone with God. You want to be spending time to actually communicate with the creator of the universe. And recently I heard an atheist who said that you cannot actually pray for over two minutes without repeating yourself. And I wanted to introduce him to Miss Barb. <laughs> but what I really thought was, man, you must be like the most boring friend in the world. Can you imagine somebody in your life and every conversation after two minutes are just repeating themselves? Why can you talk to somebody next to you for an hour and never repeat yourself, but you can't get into a conversation with God? You can't just tell him what's on your heart. So as we come into prayer, I want you to remember these three principles. We have to understand who God is because we serve a God who is eternally holy and eternally loving, and we have to understand that to truly approach his throne in prayer. Number two, you have to submit yourself to him. When Pastor Carlos was talking last week, one of the things that really stuck out to me is if you want your prayers to be answered, those prayers have to be in God's will. And you will not be praying in God's will if you don't start by submitting your life and your desires over to him. His will be done, not yours. And then finally, against all of the cultural and worldly views that we are constantly being given, you have to admit your reliance on him. And then you have to embrace it. Because that reliance on him is what has saved you. And that saving of him is what allows you to forgive others. All of that comes down 
to you understanding who God is and who you are and coming to him in that relationship in prayer. And so we're going to close. And this is an exercise we've actually done with the youth group a little bit. So I want to take just a couple seconds and everybody think about who God is. Think about who you are. Think about what you need. That if you were like Isaiah and this room opened directly into the throne room of God, what would you ask him for? And I want you to all channel that into your hearts and bow your heads with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And now as I dismiss you, I'm going to leave you with the blessing that Aaron gave the sons of Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.